Okay, so I'm continuing the series uh, of the Lord's Prayer, and um, I think I did uh, week one, and Sarah did week two, and then I'm on week three, which is, give us today our daily bread. Now, for some of you, you might not like bread. You might, be, you know, you might have a problem with wheat, so you're straight away going, I'm not interested in bread. You've totally put me off. But, you know, it's not just about bread. It's really about God's nourishment for us, God's strength in us. Bread is a symbol of, really, um, the basics of what we need on a daily basis. And we all need something, don't we? I know I do. I, I know I can very quickly make my own source of strength and rely on that. But long term, it's not going to last me because it's only temporary. And we all need to rely on God long term. Otherwise, we're stuffed when we leave this world. Amen? So God is a, we believe, is a provider. And I'm going to look at bread. And I'm going to talk about a little bit about food today. Because um, I like food. We all like food, don't we? We like bread. But it, it just reminds me, this story, this scripture. And we're going to read it now. And it just reminds me of the story of the Israelites. Because God provided bread for them every day. Which sounds an amazing thing, but imagine eating bread every day. No garlic on it. You don't have garlic in bread, right? No, no, no poppy seeds, not a bloom, just bre- not even a panini. Just this same bread every day. Can you imagine? I know what my kids would say if I put the same food on the table every day. They'd be not, I'd get a funny look. But God provided bread for them every day. Must have been good bread, that's all I'm saying. Now let's read what what Jesus says when he's teaching us to pray. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Sarah said the other week, that first section really is all about God and God's will coming to earth. This next bit goes really to us and how it can affect us on a daily basis. So here's our response. It says, give us today our daily bread. Just a note in there as well. It doesn't say give me. It says give us. It's a corporate thing. This is a corporate prayer. This is a together prayer. You know, that's why we're doing prayer tonight as a corporate prayer, as a body of believers. You know, you may have faith to believe for something, but can you imagine corporate faith? I can do some things, but can you imagine what we can do together as a body of believers? Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I'm going to focus on this today. Give us today our daily bread. And I'm going to look at the Israelites because they had a desire for food. They loved food. They needed food on a daily basis, but they were also tempted with food as well. The first kind of food that they were tempted with was the food in Egypt. There was figs in Egypt. Anybody like figs? I can't stand them. Well done. You're very unique. My nan used to give us figs every Christmas. My dad would get a box of figs, and they just made me want to eave. They were, but apparently, figs, for some people, are very tempting and very nice. Yeah? And in Egypt, there was, there was riches, and there was food, and they were tempted to eat of those riches. But if you know the story in Egypt, they all became slaves, and they, they were living in a place of slavery, and, and for us today, that's kind of like a symbol of us as a people being uh, stuck in sin, in slavery. We're all trapped in this world to something called sin. 
But if you know the story, God comes and rescues them. You know, but I think there's a lesson in that with the type of food that the world offers. Do you hear, hear what I'm saying? Hear my heart on this. There's a type of food that the world offers that tempts us to eat of, that promises something but doesn't fulfill. Okay, I'll, I'll say that again. There's a type of food that the world offers, a kind of a promise, but the promise isn't fulfilled. And we're all tempted to go back there when it's not working the way we want it to work. It's a kind of food for our soul that we just are tempted to because what we've got isn't quite fulfilling us, so we'll go somewhere else. So here's an example. You know, somebody is married and they've been in a relationship for 15 years and all of a sudden they're starting to get a little bit discontent and the relationship's faded and all of a sudden there's a temptation that the person over there is more attractive and going to fulfill them, and it promises that it will be a better fix for them, so all of a sudden they can be tempted to go with another person. Or sex, for example. People can get addicted to sex. It promises to fulfill them, but actually there's something deeper that fulfills us, I believe, than just the sex. Money promises to fulfill us, and we all know what the Scripture says on that. The love of money is the root of all evil. You see, the world tempts us and promises something, but actually it won't fulfill us at a deeper level. And we have to be careful of that food because it's nothing wrong with living in the world. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with relationships and sex within covenant relationships. There's nothing wrong with that, but we have to watch out that we're not tempted to go back to Egypt. Look out for the figs. If you like figs, enjoy them. You know, when I was thinking about this, is this okay this morning? I'm, I'm kind of just chatting, and I'll make sure I finish on time. But, you know, I was thinking about when, you, when, you, when you're hungry. I was thinking about when's the worst time to go shopping? When you're hungry. Isn't it? You buy anything. It's like you go, and you're like, that spam looks lovely. Spam. And you buy it, and you bring it home, and you put it in the cupboard, and someone says to you, what you bought Spam for? I don't know. It looked nice in that tin. And it stays there for four years. And your friends come around, you've got some Spam. No. Who eats Spam nowadays? Mandy Siddeley, apparently. It's worth some figs. But you know, the worst time to go shopping is when you're hungry. Unless you, you kind of you enjoy that and you actually experiment with your food. You may be one of those people. It's like, oh, I've got all this food. But the worst time really to go shopping or put yourself in a situation is when you're hungry. And that's just a little lesson for us. Be careful when you have a hunger what you go and fill yourself with. Do you see what I'm saying? Because you will think anything looks good and taste, and you will justify yourself eating of that stuff because you think it doesn't matter. It's only spam. Be careful when we're tempted what we eat of. The lesson in the beginning was Adam and he sinned, okay? And we see the consequences of the fruit that he ate. That's about our, really our pride and us not trusting in God and going somewhere else for our source. So Egypt is one kind of food where we can be. The problem with Egypt, though, it promises something and you become dependent on it. You become addicted to it. It has you, you don't have it. Gambling. I'm going to say something on gambling this morning. I was thinking about gambling this week. Gambling promises something, but it doesn't fulfill. And if you're not careful, you will be addicted to it. 
It's like the lottery. Ba-bam, quick fix, wham-bam, all your problems sorted. Will it be? How many people do we see who get successful quickly and they fall apart after they're not being fulfilled? Footballers, how many of them? Pop stars, they get the money, they get the popularity, and all of a sudden down the line when they're not as popular as the beauty fades, all of a sudden they're in a mess because they were dependent on it. Egypt gets you dependent on it. The world gets you dependent on it. That's Satan's trick to tempt you into the riches of this world, your eyes into it, so that you get suckered into it and you think, well, that'll sort my life out. The lottery will sort all the problems out. No, it won't because there's a deeper rooted issue inside of us. You hear what I'm saying? Is this okay? So Egypt is the place where we become dependent on it. God doesn't want us to live there. He wants us to break them chains over our lives so we can be free. Okay? And that's what he did through Jesus Christ. The second place is the wilderness. And God gave them bread on a daily basis. You know, this is, for me, the place where we learn to become independent. So we're not dependent on the world, but we can become our own person and become dependent on the things of God, dependent on what God says about us, not what the world says about us. So I know who I am in Christ. I know that I'm loved, and I'm going to depend on God's source now, not on the world's source. So we go on a journey, like the Israelites, on a daily basis, okay, of believing what God says about us. In other words... They were starting a relationship to trust God. I don't know if you, if you trust people. You may have been hurt. You may have been disappointed. You may say, I don't trust people. The Israelites, they came out of slavery. They were forced to do something. They'd been hurt. All they'd known is dictatorship. So when they came out of Egypt, they went into the wilderness. God had to teach them a new way of living. He wanted to remove that chain from them and get them to be empowered for themselves and to make decisions based on something deeper than what somebody told them to do. In other words, they based it on God's word and God's truth. He loved them and would always love them. And they had to choose to trust him on a daily basis. In other words, they had to choose to trust God's word on a daily basis. Give us each day our daily bread. I don't know if you like bread, you might not like bread. But at the end of the day, God promises to be our bread. He promises to be our source every day. So the wilderness... It's a place of becoming independent. It's a place of discovering your freedom in God. It's a place of learning to trust him and learn the lessons, what he's telling you to do, put them into place on a daily basis so that you can be empowered and become everything God's called you to be. Not what your past says, but what he says about you. And we must learn to eat his word on a daily basis and believe what his word says about us and become everything God's got for us. And then we have the promised land. So there was Egypt with the figs, there was the wilderness with the bread, and then there was a promised land. God gave them vision to believe for something, so he gave them this vision of this land, he called it flowing with milk and honey. Does anybody want to live there? I said with milk and honey. Anybody like honey? I don't like honey. I'm not, I don't like much of this stuff today. No figs, I don't even like honey. 
And that's honey as in what you eat, not honeys, right? Not the honey. You're not going land flavor milk and honeys. It's honey, okay? And there's no honey G there either. It's just honey. Okay, thank God. Well, she may be there. I don't know. If she's in heaven, she may be the DJ or I don't know. God help us. But you know, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. The, the Egypt was dependent on the world. Wilderness was becoming independent. The promised land was all about interdependence. You say, what does that mean? Well, they became dependent. They could grow the crop, but the crop wasn't just for them. Their crop was for their neighbor as well as themselves. Can you see the difference? God wanting to grow them and set them free so they become independent and empowered by God. But there was a bigger responsibility in the land that he was giving them. The land wasn't just for themselves. They turned back into Egypt where they were just dependent on their crop. And God wanted them to be more than that. He wanted them to care for the widow. He wanted them to care for the poor. He wanted the land to be flowing, not just looking at themselves, but actually for one another. That's the land flowing with milk and honey. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Does anybody want the land of flowing with milk and honey? I know I do. You might not like honey. You might not like milk. But you know what? It's good for us. The best thing for us isn't just the bread. The best thing for us is the milk and honey. And God knows that. But God knows that they weren't ready for the land flowing with milk and honey, they had to go on a journey, a daily journey, so that when they got there, they'd be ready for it. And they took a journey that should have taken 11 days, took 40 years. And still, they weren't ready for it. And it took a new generation to come through. Even Moses, who led them so far, made a mistake at the end by not trusting God and missed out on the land flowing milk and honey. How mad's that? 40 years he led the people faithfully. He makes a mistake and God says, right, you're not going in. I was like, that's a bit harsh. Give a bit of grace. But there's a lesson for us in that. We will miss out on flowing, land flowing, if we become disobedient. You say, that's a bit hard. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about heaven on earth. I'm talking about the land and the kingdom of God that wants to flow in and through you. If you take offense once on a daily basis and say, I'm not going to do this anymore, you're going to miss out from that stuff that's going to flow in and out you. Can you see the lesson? You say, well, it's just a fence. No, it's not. You've put a fence up and you're going to stop God's kingdom coming in and through you. One occasion, one, one bit of unforgiveness, one disobedience will stop the land flowing with milk and honey. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you because he loves you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you becoming a fruitful person so that you're flowing with milk and honey. So that you can look out for one another and care for one another. If you take offense, you'll go, I'm not caring for them. I'll just look after myself. I'll go back into the wilderness and be independent. Am I your, am I, are you with me this morning? Is this a bit tough? Is this challenging? I want a land flowing with milk and honey. I want us to go on to that journey so we care for one another and we're interdependent and we're building one another up as the body of believers, as the body of bread. We're strengthening one another as a people, not just independently, but interdependently. I don't know what that means. I can tell you off. So what kind of food do you want? 
Do you want Egypt food that promises but doesn't deliver? Do you want independent food that will strengthen you as an individual? Or do you want milk and honey? Because milk and honey cost something. Milk and honey, they had to look after the land. In the wilderness, God just kept giving them bread every day. Come on, bread every day. God give me, God give me, God give me. And we all need that. We all need God to give us, right? But land flowing milk and honey isn't about just God give me. God's like, I, I've given you, what are you going to do with it now? What are you going to do with it? Well, I'll take this one. Wow, what am I going to do? You're free now, but what are you going to do with it? Are you going to give your milk and honey away? And I just felt this morning as we were praying, I just felt this, right? Do you want to be a person that flows? Do you want the flow to flow through you? It's up to you. Do you want to be a person that flows so that God flows in and through you? The love of God flows in and through you. I know I do, and I don't always get it right on a daily basis. But if you can learn... A few things, I believe you can be a land flowing with milk and honey. Not just dependent on the past, not just independent, but we become interdependent as a people. We love one another, we care for one another, we help provide. That's what happens in Acts. When they all met daily and and when there was people in need, they made sure the people in need were looked after. Why? Because they understood what God had done for them, provided for them, and they had a responsibility to care for one another and be there for one another. Oh, that's, that's, the, that's the culture I want. That's the community I want as a people that we're not just making sure I'm okay with my faith work, but actually take a look around and see who else is suffering and going through it so we can be there for one another. And we can pick each other up and provide for one, one another. We can share our bread, our strength, our milk, our honey, what God's given us so that we can build one another up. Wider than this, outside. I don't know what kind of food you want. Do you want the figs from Egypt? Do you want wilderness bread? Or do you want a land flowing with milk and honey? I know what I want. question is, do we have a hunger for it? Okay, two, two things to think about then to help us understand this land flowing with milk and honey and moving from a wilderness into a promised land. The first one is this. Learn to love the process. I don't know about you, but I like quick fixes, especially if I've got toothache, right? There's nothing worse than having a toothache. I I learned this lesson, right? Not to put things off, and I learned it the hard way. When I went to Uganda for the first time in Rwanda 15 years ago, I had a little bit of a pain on my tooth. I thought, I'll be all right. I'll be all right, you know, it'll be. God, I'll pray for you to make my tooth better. You know, he's giving me a dentist. I'm just not, I'm a bit stupid to go and use the dentist. You know, I'll pray that prayer. Nothing happens. My tooth, you know, I'll get away with it. So I end up in Uganda for a month and my tooth is wrecking. And you know when your tooth's wrecking, it just consumes you, doesn't it? You can't even, you can't even speak to the people around you because you're just consumed by pain. And it's only a tooth. The people going through worse things. But, you know, I was like an emotional wreck. Oh, my teeth hurting. I was all over the place. You know, I wasn't a Christian, so maybe I could get away with it a bit better then. But I was, I was in agony. And I was like, I need a dentist. And I, and I got one of the guys to take me to a dentist in Uganda. <laughs> I tell you, I've never been so scared in all my life. I walked in. 
It was like a 1930s chair. I was like, what's that? That's something you see in the London Museum. The tools were all out on the side. I'm like, where's the sterilizing stuff? And then there's next someone that's just sitting in the chair there. When I go to the dentist, there's rooms that they go into. There wasn't, we're all in the same room. I'm like, someone's going to watch me have my tooth done and cry like a baby. You know, and I'm like, oh my word. I'm in, I, I. So I end up sitting in this chair and this is what they did. They pulled this little curtain across. You know, in the hospital, like they're in the hospital. I'm like, you can hear every noise. I'm like, God save, I don't even, I don't even not a believer yet, but if you're real, God save me from this. What am I doing? But this is what I did. I needed a quick fix on that day, but this is a lesson I learned. That it was my own fault for putting it off. But you know, sometimes it's right to get a quick fix. Sometimes we need, I had a, we had a leak last week in the radiator and the radiator burst. I needed someone to come and fix it then. There's a time when we need a quick fix. But quick fixes aren't going to fix us properly. It's not going to work. Quick fix. God, get me out of here. We need something deeper than that. We need to understand that there's a process that we're in. We're all on a journey of becoming like Christ. God's, God's taken us on that journey to mold and shape us to make us like Jesus. As a body of believers to become like Jesus on earth. So we are in on that journey. and We want to understand we're in process. And we've got to learn to love the process. Even when we want a quick fix, get me out of here type of thing. God wants to take you through a process. In other words, he wants to develop your character and he's trying to draw out of you something that's deeper than your emotional response that says, get me out of here quick. That's about the promised land. That's the land that's flowing with milk and honey. God's like, you realize what I've put in you? Do you realize how my word is in you? Do you realize my spirit is in you? The same spirit that was in Jesus, I've put in you. And that spirit that I've put in you is greater than the spirit that's in the world. Yet you keep listening to the world and being tempted by it. But there's something deeper inside of you that I'm drawing out of you. And when the things around you are removed and you think, why haven't I got this relationship? Why haven't I got this car? Why haven't I got this stuff? You're tempted to go back to Egypt. But God's saying, I'm drawing you out of that because there's something greater inside of you. There's something richer in you that I've put there. So what you need to do is tap into that and allow it to flow out of you. Look for other people. Sow into, in, into people and encourage people. Let it flow out of you. But we're so tempted to go back to Egypt because we'll get a quick fix. Or we go to the wilderness. God, get me out of here. I've had enough of this one. Give me today my daily bread. Which is right. We need God to give us something. But God says, I want you to come to the land flowing with milk and honey. Honey. I want it to flow out of you. And I want you to listen to my word daily and allow it to encourage you and strengthen you daily so that you become everything that God's calling you to be. But you will be tempted to go back. Our immaturity says, God, get me out of here, quick fix. But God says, I want you to learn to love the process. Learn to love the process. Watch out for the quick fix. 
You listen, let's be honest. We all want the quick fix, don't we? Come on, can I be honest with you? We all want the quick fix, don't we? We all want the quick book and we don't want to work for it. We all want it because we think it'll solve everything. It won't. God knows that. God knew when they came out of Egypt, they wanted the quick fix. I mean, they'd seen amazing miracles. God, you know, destroyed Egypt. He brought them out of the most powerful nation. He opens up the Red Sea, brings them through and destroys the enemy. Wipes them out. He wipes out the enemy. And then as soon as they come the other side, what do they do? Moan and complain. Moan and complain. Where's our food today? I mean, look at what God's just done. And you're worried about bread on a daily basis. And you've just seen him wipe out the enemy. And you're worried about bread on a daily basis. And you're crying and moaning, where's my fix? What did Jesus do on the cross? He wiped out the enemy. He destroyed him. No one saw it coming. He swallowed it up. And then he, he washes us whiter than snow. And we're concerned on a daily basis. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we've got to tap into that word and say, do you know what, God? I might feel weak today. I might need a nourishment from you today, but I'm going to call on you daily. I'm going to believe your word and I'm going to push through. I'm moving from this wilderness. I'm going into a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at what Jesus did on the cross. He destroyed the enemy. He, he conquered death. He conquered sin. And we think, am I going to get through today? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Look at Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. He is the name above all names. There's nothing that you will not overcome. In the book of Revelation, it says to one of the churches who were listening to wrong teaching, and, he, and the word comes to the church, and it says, listen, you're listening to the wrong teaching, the, the teachings of the Nicolaitans, whatever it says. And then he says this, but for you who've held on to my word, for you who overcome I will give you the hidden bread. I will give you the hidden manna, it says. The hidden manna was to do with, that was the bread that God poured every morning. He put it out. It said it was like coriander leaves, seeds, and it tasted like honey every morning. And God gave him the bread daily. I mean, how good is God? They moaned and complained. He could have wiped them out. And he said, no, I'll be kind and graceful to them. I'll give them bread every day. They're just children. They don't understand but I see something greater in them. They're just affected by their past, but I see something greater in them, what I want them to become, so I'll feed them anyway. And he gives them bread, and, he, and, and they don't know what to call it, so they call it manna. And manna says, what is it? That's all manna means. What is it? <laughs> right? We haven't got a name for it. What is it? Right? That's what it called, manna. So what they did for 40 years, they ate of the manna every single day. Must have been good bread. And they get to 40 years, and they said, right, we're, we're going to take you into the promised land now. So this is what God instructs them to do. Get some of the manna, put it in a jar, and put it in the Ark of the Covenant as a remembrance of my provision for you, basically. That I am an everlasting God. I've never let you down for 40 years. You know, imagine eating bread for 40 years, every day, every day for 40 years. That's almost like your lifetime. It's a generation that God provides for them. But he says, get a bit of the bread and put it in a jar and then put it in the covenant, which is my promise to you that I will provide for you and I am with you and I love you. I'll never let you down. My promise, put the bread in there as a remembrance. Listen, where is that bread today? That bread is in you. You are the jar. What is it? Yeah, you are the jar. You are the vessel that God wants to put himself in. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
I am the bread of life. When they were trying to question Jesus about the bread coming down for heaven, Jesus is like, I am the bread. I am the promise. And God put that bread in a jar with the promise that he promised, and he would never, ever deny himself. The promise is in the jar. So who's the jar today? For those who believe in Jesus, you become that jar. You become that vessel. So you hold on to that promise and remind yourself on a daily basis, my God provides for me daily. My God gives me daily. My God not only provides daily, but he's promised to provide eternally. Wow. It's the manner that he put in the jar that he said, do this in remembrance of me. You know, at the end of this preach, I'm going to do this in remembrance of him. We're going to take bread as a reminder of the bread of life. Jesus is that promise. Jesus is the promise of God, forgiveness of sin. Remind yourself daily, eat of the bread, eat of that word. You know, it says in Deuteronomy, and Jesus used these words, he said, man does not live by bread alone. When he was tempted, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Wow. Where's your substance? Where's your promise? If you want to live in the promises of God, the land flowing with milk and honey, it comes from standing in the promise daily, living it out daily. Learn to love the process. And then the next one. Are you still with me this morning? We're in a process of living in that promise. We're not, we're not in the fulfillment of the promise yet because Jesus has to return and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. But we've seen more of the promise, what God promised to do by sending his son. We live in part of that and we'll see the fullness of it later on. But we can hold on to that and not let go of it as we learn that we're in process. The next one then is this. Learn to live from the inside out. Is there enjoying yourself? Passes me coat, mate. You know, most of us, when we put our coats on, we put them the right way, don't we? Well, most of us do. <laughs> or you turn up somewhere and you realize you've got it inside out. Have you ever done that? Was it just me? I, I, I came in the other week, right? It was probably about three months ago. I got in from, I'd preached, and I, I got home. I got changed in the evening. I took my jeans off, right? And my boxes were wrong way around. I'm like, I've not even noticed and then I looked again, not only the wrong way around, they were inside out as well. I thought, that's a bad start to the day. Good job of the grace of God that I got through and nobody, oh, nobody knew. Uh, you're right. But when we put things inside out, people notice, don't they? But you know, I put this coat on. I put it the right way. Nobody really notices. Yeah? I put it the right way, nobody notices. But when I put it inside out, everybody notices, don't they? It gets somebody's attention when it's inside out, unless you've got one of them cool coats that you always wanted as a kid that is a two-way coat. And you're like, I got double the money. Fleece on the inside, waterproof the other way. Who had one of those? Yeah, but when you get it inside out, it looks odd. I can't even dress myself this morning. I've got it inside out, right? It's been a bad week. Well, you know, when it's inside out, you notice things. You notice it stands out. That, that looks a bit odd. We saw somebody the other week at swimming, and she came out with a bikini on, and there was this lad with it, and she was, she, she, this lad was petting. Have you ever petting in the swimming baths? Remember that word, do not pet, no petting. I said to Sarah, they're petting. <laughs> they were like this. He's got his hands all over where he shouldn't. 
And I'm like, oh, the girls are in the bath. So we're watching the girls do their lesson. I'm like, babe, they're petting. And she said, I'm not worried about the petting. She says she's got a bikini inside out. <laughs> and the label's like here. And I turned around, she'd gone, and she'd come back, and she got changed. You notice, don't you? You're like, it's inside out. Look, we're called to live inside out. You see what you mean? We're called to live from the inside out. We're not called to live from the outside in. You see what you mean? Well, well, most of us look for the affirmation and we look for the encouragement and we look for it outside of ourselves. We look for the quick fix. We look for something externally to make us feel better. We look for the position. We look for the power. We look for the money. And it's an external thing coming in and it won't fix it because we're not meant to live that. We're meant to live from the inside out. People that live in the land flowing with milk and honey understand this. They understand that there's something in them how they should live. You say, well, what, what, how do we do that? So, for example, if you don't trust people, you say, I don't trust people. So how, how, how do you break that cycle? Well, you become a trustworthy person. Well, no, no, but I want people to, I want people to be really deep with me. And No, 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 it's not going to work that way. You're looking for an outside-in fix. What you need to live is from the inside out. So how do I develop trust? Well, I become a trustworthy person. I become faithful on a daily basis. Now, actually, I trust myself in my decisions. Making sense? You live from the inside out based on your values. Based on how you want to live. Well, I'm going to love people. But they didn't love me. That's outside in again. Get pulled into it. It doesn't work. Choose to love people from the inside out. Choose to forgive people because the next bit of the prayer says forgive those who sin against us, trespass against us. That's an inside-out mentality as Christ has forgiven me. See, if we don't live from the inside-out, we're always living from the outside-in. We'll be looking for it for the rest of our lives. It will run us ragged. But if we choose to believe what God says, that's what God was trying to do with them in the wilderness. They didn't know how to live. All he'd known is instruction. Do this. So he said, right, I'll give you some instruction, but basically because he didn't say like that. He had to give them some instruction because they didn't know how to live. So he gave them the Ten Commandments. They were instructions, but they didn't work because there was something deeper rooted inside of them, which was sin, what he actually, he actually has to come back and deal with through Jesus Christ, change our hearts, cut that chain of, of, of sin and control within our lives that it has over our lives. He had to come through Jesus to do that. But he gave them some values on how to live. Put me first and basically love your neighbor as yourself. That was it. And Jesus has given us them same values. What values do you hold deep down? Are you going to live from the inside out? I'm going to choose to love. I'm going to choose to trust. How do I do that? Well, I love people and I become a trustworthy person by being faithful myself. As you do that, you will trust yourself from the inside. If you play the game, if you manipulate, if you try and get your way, you won't trust yourself and your relationships won't go long term. They'll just be short term. Am I making sense? I read this quote. It says, eventually, if there isn't deep integrity, doing what's right, and fundamental character strength, the challenges of life will cause true motives to surface. And human relationship failure will replace Short-term success. In other words, if we're looking for the short-term, 
you know, we can all do it. Hey, how are you doing? Your personality, your charisma, your charm on that level. We can all do it. We do it. But actually, fundamentally, if the character isn't there, long term it won't last. And let's be a people that choose deeper rooted values. To love people, to forgive people, to be graceful for, with people. Learn to love the process. Learn to live from the inside out. This week, be an inside out person. So I'm going to be an inside out person. I'm not going to look from that. That doesn't mean that we don't receive love because we must first and, sorry, first and foremost, fundamentally, we must receive the love of God. The grace of God that no one deserves. That's what I believe he was teaching them in the wilderness. They'd worked and worked in, the, in, the, in Egypt and they'd been forced to labor. So when they came out of Egypt into the wilderness, what happened was all they know was to work and to do. So God's like, no, 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 I'll remove that from you. I'm just going to give to you. Let me give to you first. Let me, let me show you my mercy and my love first. And he gave to them. We must first receive the love of God. The grace of God that none of us deserve. Don't be a person that tries to work for it because it will wear you out. Are you hearing my heart on that? Right? You can't earn the love of God. You can't earn his love. If you're looking to earn his love, it will not work. It will wear you out. You have to receive it. You have to accept his love, accept his forgiveness, choose to receive it by faith, and then choose to be that that he's calling you to be. But we first must receive it. But after that, we don't look to receive it from anywhere else apart from God. God is the source of our soul. He is the bread of life. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, keep your heart. Sorry, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. There you go. Where do the issues of life come from? From your heart. What directs your life? Your heart. So above all else, guard what comes out of it. That's where the land flows. What do you want to flow? Do you want God's will to flow or do you want the enemy's will to flow? It's your choice. God has empowered us to do that. David, you know, he also knew this. This is Solomon, but David knew that out of his heart, everything else flowed. And he had a responsibility to be diligent in his heart to make sure what came out and how he responded. Not based on external circumstances, but what God was doing on the inside. He understood that he had to love the process, that he didn't like it. You know, this is a guy who defeated Goliath and taken him down, yet he's in the wilderness and he's running around and Saul's trying to kill him. He could have gone, hey, I did Goliath. No, 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 no. God says, I'm taking you through process first. We need to see some things that are in here and form you from the inside out. I want to make you an inside out person, David, not an outside in person. So I need to do some things on the inside. Learn to love the process and live from the inside out. Hold my word close within your heart and do as it says, not how other people want you to respond. David understood that he had to live from the inside out and that he was in process. We're all in process and we're to live from the inside out. I'm going to finish with this. Psalm 52. It says, I am like an olive tree. He said, I'm not an olive tree. No, no, David isn't saying he's an olive tree, he's saying he's like. I can imagine David sitting there looking at an olive, olive tree through the wilderness. He keeps seeing this olive tree through different seasons. He's seen it through drought, he's seen it through fire, he's, he's seen it through floods. Yet every time he runs past this olive tree, it's there. He says, I'm like that olive tree. 
I've been through fire. I've been through disease. I've been through all of this suffering. Yet I'm still here. I'm still here through everything I've gone through. He says, I'm like an olive tree. Flourishing, thriving, growing in God's house. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. David understood on a daily basis what got him through. Not the, not the circumstances, not the success, not the position, not the power, not the money. None of those things fulfilled him. But he understood he was in process. And he learned to grow with God on a daily basis. He lived from the inside out. And he says, I am like an olive tree. I just keep growing and thriving in God's house. Disease may come, troubles may come, floods may come but I am like an olive tree. Do you know why? Something special about an olive tree. An olive tree could be burnt down, yet it'll still survive. An olive, olive tree could go through various diseases, but it comes back to life again. Why? Because it's its deep-rooted system. It's rooted in the ground and it's able to come back to life again because it's rooted in something far deeper than the surface. I want to encourage you this, church, this year, church, as you seek God daily, be rooted in the word of God. Be rooted in the everlasting love of God. Not what the world offers, but in God's love daily. Let your, root, your, your roots go deep down into God's love and be established in that love so that you could be like David. I'm like an olive tree. Storms come, winds come, success comes. But I'm still thriving in God's house. I trust in his love, his everlasting love.